All he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. He's a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Ross Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb. Went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like some sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. They're going to get an Italian army behind them right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football. The boys from Orchard Park, the Outsiders. I'm the Wolfman, Dale Wolfley. And, of course, this evening, I have my eldest brother, Craig Wolfley. There is in black. Yep, he's got the peace sign. Peace to the world, baby. How are you, brother? I'm doing good. Good to see you. Well, great to see you as always. And that is Derry, of course. And then we got below we got Ronnie Paul, Pony Boy. Uh, how are you doing? The fist is up, ready to fight. Yeah, doing good. As a matter of fact, you know who wants to go? You ready to brawl? Anyway? <laughs> you know, it's I so. Guarantee I'd get killed in this matchup right here, but you might have to put a bullet in my head. You know, I gotta say this: you might be a touch cantankerous if you if you you're not sleeping well, bro. You know. You I know. Just, I, you know, I've been through that myself, you know, and it just, it makes you a little bit ornery. And you know, like the last thing you hear is orneryism. Yeah, that's right. You're out, you're out there. So you're, you're selling the podcast. Of course, you're doing an awesome job out there. We might want to, I don't know, just get somebody out there that might say, Hey, I've got something natural for you to take that will keep you asleep. Okay, something okay. natural. I'm not, and I'm not talking about any cannabis or anything like that. Okay? Okay. We we're got off to a roaring run. start. You know, and the funny thing is, because you can't tankers tonight, it's going to be good because we've got a couple of things going here. But anything going on current events-wise, Tom Brady's just retired again. What's your thoughts on that? Is he going to stay retired? Is he done? Oh, you know Brady's done now. You, you can't you can't take three curtain calls. You can take two. All right. You can you can you know go out there then pull it back, but then you got to follow through the next time. Or it's all about crying wolf. So there's no way that you can come back and do anything else. He's had such a great career, a terrific career. God bless him. Uh, I've enjoyed watching him absolutely just dominate the NFL for so long. But, the, you know, as, with all things, it's it's that time. And, uh, you know, he is mortal. That's right. It is that time. And, Pony Boy, what's your parting thoughts of Tom Brady when you look at him and his career? And sum it up. Yeah, you know, for me, I think he's done, guys. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, I think he, he means it this time. I think one of the big reasons why he saw his own athletic mortality. Um, uh, you know, it's so hard to retire and walk away from a game that you love, a sport that you love, when you think you could still play it. It's one of the challenges, I think, ahead for J.J. Watt is going to be him staying away when he knows they can, he could go out there and get 12 and a half sacks this year. You know, um, Tom Brady, I think, 
especially the second half of the season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think he really saw uh, his own athletic mortality in terms of missing throws that he rarely ever missed and missing mm-hmm. some receivers. Um, can I just tell you right now, I thought he did it with class. Um, he was pithy, but he was poignant. Um, he, he was emotional, but he wasn't balling all over the place, right? Right. Um, uh, he was sincere. Um, I just thought it was well done, the greatest of all time. And I was happy to see Tom say, you know what, uh, this is it. And this time I truly believe he is done. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Put my two cents in is he's the greatest at that position, the most successful anyways, and he has nothing to look back, no regrets. I'm glad he got out now because he did make the playoffs. You can't say he went down there and they were 4-13, and, and 13, you know, and just had the worst <laughs> year. You know what I mean? They, they were, I think, they finished up there uh, in the playoffs with a winning record. So that's not so bad. That doesn't suck. Uh, you know, and I wish the best for him because I think a lot of people like taking shots at him. And what you said about how he conducted himself all that time, all those years, I mean, if that happened to me, I might be walking around like a total jack. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's not. I'm just saying, you know, we, we all see it. So kudos to Tom Brady and congratulations on a successful career. But move on to something else. You'll be just But you know successful. what? You know what, Dale? Here's the thing about it. You know, people taking shots at him. All right, to quote the great, late great Howard Cosell, it's like spitballs at a battleship. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know? right. All off your back, baby. All off and your back. By the way, so the just, just for the record out there, they were 8-9, and nine, as a matter of fact. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were a game under uh, 500 and still won that division. That's how bad the NFC South was. Right. Right. Okay. All right, Mr. Cardinal. Speaking of. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen. That's right. When you're 4 and 13, you fight for every win, baby. <laughs> okay. Speaking of that, I want an update on the coaching situation. Here are a lot of things coming out of Phoenix. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You know, um, listen, John Payton, of course. Uh, it's a disappointment, I think, for a lot of Cardinal fans. I- I'm disappointed, but not broken about it. Um, Sean Payton, I thought, represented the the best odds of getting Kyler Murray right and getting this offense going and evolving this offense forward with Kyler Murray and therefore helping the Arizona Cardinals win games once again. I thought Sean Payton uh, represented the best odds. Now, just because I thought that, as you guys well know, that doesn't mean that's what was going to happen. Yeah, there's so many people out there that think, hey, if they just would have hired Sean Payton, Kyler Murray would be fixed, the offense would be fixed, the Arizona Cardinals would win games. That, that's that's way too simplistic in today's NFL. So, yes, I think uh, he represented the best odds. Uh, he's not coming here, as we all know. He's going to be the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. I wish Sean Payton well. I think I met him all the way back at Eastern Illinois University, way back when he was a ball boy, and we had our training camps there. Um, I, I met Sean, um, but I wish him well. He's a class act. I think he's an excellent coach. Now the Arizona Cardinals are moving on. Who's it going to be? I do not know. Um, I think it's going to be a defensive-minded coach. Uh, Lou Anarumo, they actually interviewed him today, 
As a matter of fact, now this is going to air on Thursday. Um, so they interviewed him on Wednesday. I like him a lot. He's a leader of men. He's a guy that's an old school guy. Brian Flores is still out there as well for the Arizona Cardinals. Many people believe he could be the guy. Uh, you talk about an old school guy who is a new school teacher. He walks around, he looks new school, he understands the language, but the teaching um, mechanics that he's going to use and the axioms he's going to bring to a team are really old school, old world. And I love that about him. And Craig, we've talked about him in the past. So there's a lot of options that are still open for the Arizona Cardinals. It's just looking more and more and more to me like it's going to be a defensive coach even though they could wait for Shane Steichen, who is going to be the offensive coordinator in the Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles, they just might want to wait and talk to him because the Eagles' offense is very, very similar to what the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury's offense was all about. And if I'm the Arizona Cardinals, I'll wait. What's the difference now? It's not like you're rushing anymore. What's the difference waiting until after the Super Bowl so you can actually talk to the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. I think you'd want to do that. Can I, I got to share something because this is, you know, we're, we talk about Sean Payton and who Sean Payton is. It brings me back to a story Tunch Elkin, our brother Tunch, you know, uh, Chalucci <laughs> shared with us, right? He's down there working with the Saints in the offseason some years ago, you know, maybe 10 years ago or so. So he's down there, he's sitting in Peyton's office, right? Now, Peyton's office overlooks the practice field down in New Orleans, right? So they're sitting there talking, and all of a sudden they look out there, and there's Drew Brees out on the field all by himself. Now, he's got no football, no nothing. There's nobody around. And he is literally running through plays after plays on air by himself. You know, I mean, he's he's throwing the ball, you know, and then he's coming back and he's coming doing a drop and handing off. He's doing, I mean, all, just playing a whole game just mentally and going through the motions. And Touch goes, I can't believe I'm watching this. And they're talking about this is this is really what makes guys great, right? But the funny part was, I remember Peyton said, "You know what? I got to go ask him who won." <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that well, awesome? That, you know, says everything about, about uh, you know, uh, Drew Brees. Yes, it does. It, it does. And we're going to move it on here. That's a good story, brother. I, I think that's what greatness is, a great picture of how you can become great and a good example for the younger people that want to be great. It's all about hard work, and there's so many different areas uh, that they have to go through that. But – as I have to say, you're in a fighting mood tonight there, Pony, so I want to know why there's no wolf on this video. 1985, I believe, your rookie year, maybe second year, but this is a, a pre-game, uh, preseason game with the Bears, and there's a brawl out there, and it looks to me like you're the peacekeeper. And again, this film was given to me by Keith Hawkins, the Zyler gang. I don't know where they keep coming up with this film, but I'm not going to stop them. But there you are. Peacekeeper. That's right. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. 
Are you, are you are the peacekeeper while they're beating up on your other guy. You keep the bears off. I mean, That's honestly. Right. First of all, Soda Pop, let me just say right now, that was 1986. 86, okay. G- 1986, that was Gene Stallings, his first year as the head coach. And you, you, what you couldn't see right there was the fact that um, Lionel Washington, a corner, got lit up by Keith Van Horn. And that really spilled over. And that spilled over onto our sideline because Keith Van Horn lit him up late. And suddenly it spilled over, as you saw, onto our sideline. And you had Emery Moorhead, the tight end. You could see him right there, number 88. Emery Moorhead was actually against the wall. And three guys were, were kicking him against the wall. Uh, you know, I, I which, saw it. Um, it. It was a full-on brawl. I got fined $500 just for going out because I had no idea what happened or how it started. I came off the bench because, you know, I was back there. I was sucking down some Gatorade. Right? <laughs> all of a sudden, I saw that happen out there, and, and the, the entire bench is cleared. And I'll never forget this, guys. Gene Stalling said, I want you to take it in, boys. Take it on in. And all of a sudden, we started all running in because he was saying, take it in. Gene was going to call the game. You know, he was going to say, listen, this is not going to happen right here. This is a full-out brawl that is going on right now. Go ahead and take it in. Some guys started running in there. There was an official from the NFL who said, if you don't turn around and go back, you're going to be fired right here on the spot. <laughs> so all of a sudden, we guys came running out of the locker room. There were, there were guys that were already in the locker room. And uh, I'll never forget that, man. Soldier Field, we thought, it would, we thought the fans were going to come over the rails and it's a good thing they didn't because as you know that would have been an absolute mess yeah i was really fired up watching it i'm like oh my gosh because you're such a hothead you never know what you're gonna do but i did see though you did strap up your helmet when you're getting the melee you're strapping up your helmet and like "Eh, he's got some kind of sense about him i kept saying somebody tell me what happened what happened because i didn't see it i was like what what what? Who, who did what? You know, I had no idea what was going on. So you know how that is. Best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't know. Yeah. Well, it didn't. Co- oh, you got. It cost you five hundred bucks for entering the fighting zone. Remember that's exactly that's what, what it was, correct? For yeah, leaving I've the side. Yeah, it cost, yeah, it cost me five hundred bucks, and it's a good thing I didn't see it because you know me. I'd have gone out there and probably thrown a couple of haymakers, um, got fined even more, got killed by a couple of guys, right? <laughs> because that was my NFL career, going out there and fighting you to the ground, but typically going to the ground. As <laughs> <laughs> you're doing it. Sir, oh, let me ask you good. this. What's, what's the worst thing you've seen on the football field like that? Wow. I remember when... Um... I think it was uh, Jack Lambert got kicked by um, Doug Deacon in Cleveland. He got kicked on the Cleveland sidelines in a place, as Chuck Dole said afterward, he got kicked where a young man should never be kicked. (laughs) And uh, that precipitated a little brawl there. There was was a number over the decade that I was, you know, in Pittsburgh. We went to Cleveland every year. There was a number of fisticuffs there. You know, we had... uh, 
you know, I, I'm not sure what the if the statute of limitations has run out on some of the things. So I'm a yeah. little careful about dicing around. You know what I mean? Okay, what about he's got Bob. Well, so I'm going to. I'll tell you what. What I see, I just it's under the pile, man. And so you know, I've never had a brawl that there's been a brawl like that. Never turned into yeah. anything like that. But in the pile, man, oh, yeah. you, you, I mean, it's 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 a different story, a different world, different world. But I guess there's only one question I have for the, the two of you. Well, choking is is okay in the pile. That's it's what I heard. Like, That's just all that I've heard. Listen, <laughs> yeah. listen up. You know, getting up on a guy's neck, just pushing yourself off the ground. What's wrong with that? Or a little bit of choking into the face mask. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know. Oh, you know, your fingers in the face mask. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like the bing, right? I mean, that's you know, not argue about punch ooh. You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> these things happen on big jobs like this, as Mike Webster once said. I just know this one thing. And I have a question. The last question, we'll go to another subject. Did you ever kick anyone? No. <laughs> Not no. that you know. No, but I, but I did punch somebody French uppercut. I did skip somebody a French uppercut once. All I right. know who it was, too. Yeah. It was one of, my, one of my old teammates from Minnesota. <laughs> hey, Craig, we don't need to bring up names. Statue of limitations. We got to check that right. out. All right, very good. And you know, this next thing I have here, this is Andy Reid. Well, Andy Reid deserved it, by the way. Hey, do you I know I'm trying to? Do you know I'm trying to move on, on right now? I'm trying yeah. to move on. You can't tanker his. I man. can't let it go. So I can't let it just go. <laughs> so Andy Reid, okay, he's the only coach to lead two separate franchises to double-digit victories in the playoffs. He's got 11 with the Chiefs now. He's had 10 with the Eagles, and now he's the second most uh, coach. Uh, in the NFL with playoff victories. Craig, I know you got a big uh, admiration for him, and, and he just keeps winning. He does, you know, and he's done it in two different places. It says everything about the man. His his ability to, um, you know, make sure that he's building teams. He's a team builder. You know, uh, he's not one of those guys that comes in and, you know, he's, he's a beneficiary of people before him or anything like that. He just comes in and gets it done in building the teams, you know. And you've got to have the same sort of message over and over. It's like I always talk about Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin leads because, number one, he's the alpha male in the room, and second, because his message is consistent year in, year out, and it doesn't get lost on the guys. The same way with Andy Reid. Andy Reid has a message that is consistent and builds year upon year, and that's why he's successful. That and the fact that he probably has eaten at more five guys franchises than any, uh, any other head coach. And I love that about Andy Reid. And I'll have a burger with you any day, brother. That's right. <laughs> yeah, always comes out of food with you, Derek. Always you know, what can food. I say? What can I say? No, it really no, is, man. Andy Reid, um, not only do I think he is a brilliant mind, um, but he's so consistent, as Craig is saying. I think he's so consistent in his approach and – you know, I played for a coach in Bill Belichick that didn't try to motivate you. He wasn't going to try to do that. And I think Andy Reid, uh, in that regard, is very, very similar to Coach Bill as well. You know, he he believes in finding guys that are self-motivated individuals and then going out and drafting them or going out and bringing them in as free agents. Um, I think if you want to be motivated or expect to be motivated by the head coach or your position coach, if you've got to be yelled at to get you to go out and do your job, 
you probably don't want to go play for Andy Reid in the Kansas City Chiefs because I think he allows you to be a pro, be a man, go out and do your job and do it well. And uh, I love that about Andy Reid. You know, I have to go back there to last week, and you said that Chuck Noll never won the best coach of the year. Uh, the NFL. I, I find that absolutely amazing. But you're also saying he was a disciple of the, I'm not going to motivate you. You're going to yep. go out there and, and play your best to be champions. And there's obviously, there, there's a connection there, uh, I, I think, to going out and finding the motivators where you don't want to have to be that rah-rah guy, and especially not when you're, you're paying or you're getting paid big dollars to do your job. So, again, Andy Reid, I look at him, you know, to win 10 playoff games with the Eagles and then do 11 there with the Chiefs. Obviously, he's had great players at both places, players win games, but, man, so do good coaches, and the good ones stand out. Number two overall, next to Belichick uh, for his number one for playoff victories. Belichick's got 31 just for everybody's information. And my stats are correct on that one. Yeah. I triple-checked them. <laughs> you know, that's, no, but it is, though. It's it's really, really important that you, that you say that and you, you get it right right there because those are um, monumental achievements by those two coaches, and they are great coaches. Yep, there's no doubt about it. And speaking of greatness, you have to go ahead, Pony. I took this off the Luke uh, or the Wolf and Luke show. I apologize for that. Pat Mahomes, the legend of Pat Mahomes, grew yesterday, did it not? My brothers, oh my goodness, just watching them right there. Joe Burrow had his shot, and I thought that was going to be it. I thought this is it. Joe Burrow is going to take over the title as the best quarterback on the face of the planet with two minutes and 30 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, a 2020 game, 94 yards in front of him, two timeouts, and I thought that was it. The table was set for Joe Burrow. And it didn't happen. It did not happen. And, Terry, uh, why do you think that the game came out the way it did? It was a close game. Why? What happened to the fact that, you know, Pat Mahomes, once again, running on a play for the first down. I know he got the uh, personal foul for the late hit on him. But that was his ankle, man. That was his bad ankle. And, and, he, and he was hurting. But here's, here's the, the point of greatness. There usually comes a time when you push all the chips to the center of the table, you know, and that's exactly what Pat Mahomes did. He garnered all the marsh and marshaled all the resources he had, pushed those chips to the center of the table, and boom, get that first down, win, win the game, get it, and he did. And that's what part of part and parcel of what makes him such a great winner. His ability to be able to do the things that he's done. I, I think we've all had high ankle sprains, haven't we? I mean, you know what a problem they are. You know how bad they are. And the fact is, he was able to overcome something that I didn't think he was going to be able to do. Because, again, I've had those high ankle sprains, and I know how hard it is to be able to come back in, in a week's time. Are you kidding me? I mean, get Zooks, man. That's that's really that's, that's something to suck up. You know, you got to suck yeah. it up, and he did. And so I respect he threw for threw over 300 yards. I mean, this guy... You know, he's doing, still doing the little jump pass and stuff. Somehow, some way, he gets it done. And that's what one of the great ones always do. And when you're one of the other ten in the huddle, you believe in the power of that guy. You believe that guy can pull your fanny out. I had it with Bradshaw. I always believed, no matter what, 
Jerry could pull our fannies out of the fire. I know you, you talked to some, like a Jimbo Covert from the Bears with Jimmy McMahon. Yeah. They had the same sort of belief in him. You know, with, with Big Ben, they had all the same belief with that guy, with number seven roaming the turf out there. And at any moment, he can do the same thing. And I think Pat Holmes was just demonstrating what a great resource of strength he has internally. Just goes to show you guys that, once again, um, football really is about body, soul, and spirit. It really is. It's the threefold nature of man, just as our Father God has designed us to be. The threefold Mm -hmm. nature of man, body, soul, and spirit. And I think that Pat Mahomes, he's got it all. The the talent is there. The the raw, overt, physical talent that he has. Uh, The toughness that comes from within. Don't say mental toughness. That's being redundant. It only comes from one place, that toughness inside you. And that comes from the soul. And then, of course, your brain, the spirit, and how smart you've got to be. Smart, tough, and a guy like Pat Mahomes going out talented and putting all three of those things together Nobody does it as well as Pat Mahomes that was on display in that one play where he pulled it down, ran for the first down with a high ankle sprain, found a way to get it done, and oh, by the way, got gunned out of bounds, which was the right call at the time. I I, I know it was a horribly officiated game. I, I, I get that. But that call in particular was the right call at that point in time, so... It decided the game, but Pat Mahomes is right in the middle of that. Yeah, a couple, a couple of things in that. You know, a horribly officiated game is part of football. That's just a human aspect of a game. You, you want to do your best. You, you play horribly sometimes as a player. You can officiate horribly sometimes because you're a human being and you're not perfect. And I think that's part of the game. Not that there's anything unintentional. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But before I do, we did the Chiefs. Andy Reid, you know, you got Pat Mahomes, probably one of the great quarterbacks. Uh, Going to be, I mean, let's, we'll see what his career, how, how that ends. And, again, let's take a look here at the Philadelphia Eagles. Because what I really want to see w- with this is break down this play here and this offensive line. Because I really think this offensive line is sharp, man. And I love it. And we're gonna we're gonna break it down right here. So if you look here, okay, this is what I, I went ahead and, and done. I hope you guys can see this. But you have on to the right side of the tight end, you have a defensive uh, and he's a six technique. He's flat up over the tight end. You have a four eye, which is more four eye than a three because he's more over the tackle as a four eye. And then to the other side of the center and guard, you have a two eye because he's on the inside of the guard. And then you got a wide five out to the left. But the key is this. You see the two circles there. They're going to go ahead and combo and combo up to the linebackers. Now, Pony Boy, you know the 49ers has a defense and the number one defense in the NFL. And to watch this play in a championship game, to watch this offense, and, of course, you can see the arrow there. You see that Jalen Hurts has got to read that. This is the quarterback read. And this is he's going to hand the ball off. But watch what happens. It's pretty darn impressive. You're going to see him come off the ball. Look at that, man. Look at that hole. That is red zone. That is six, seven-yard line. That is two guys come up. You see two on two. They come up, and they go off, 
and what they did there was pretty fantastic. You want to know why the Philadelphia Eagles, partly besides having a great defense uh, that goes along with being a, a championship-caliber team, is that offensive line is fantastic, and it's went against that 49ers. 49ers played with their one arm behind their back because they didn't have the quarterback situation. But it doesn't take away beating those, that defense. Now, Fred Warner, man, didn't even make it into the hole. I mean, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's a dude. I mean, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so what I'm saying with the Eagles did, I, I know about the quarterback situation, but it doesn't take away from what the offensive line did against that 49ers defense. No, you you are absolutely right about that. So that that example was a great example. I, I think um, everybody forgets about the Eagles' offensive line, and I think this was something we were talking about last week, as a matter of fact. But everyone forgets bit, yes. about their offensive line because of their talent. I, you know, Devontae Smith and you know AJ Brown, you know um, Miles Sanders and uh, Jalen Hurts. Of course, you, you've got all this talent on the perimeter and surrounding um, that talent is that offensive line, and nobody talks enough about it. All the bling you talk about, but it's also the bash that comes from that offensive line. I, it's For me, I said it last week, I'll continue to say it, they're the best offensive line in the National Football League, and that play right there proved it because that front seven, and by the way, they only had six. That was 11 personnel, if you notice that right there. 11 personnel, so you're hoping to get a hat on a hat. Now, I know you can count Jalen Hurts having his own gap and the fact that he, he was running. That, to me, was not a zone rate. That was a handoff, design handoff, all the way. And I think, yet he was still holding the end man as, as well. Um, they, were, they did it with the tight end and they cut him off. It was, it was the tight end who cut him off, right? But it wasn't the outside player. It wasn't the guy no. on the edge. No, the outside player was the safety coming up. He was number one on the outside. Yes, exactly. So, again, the way that it was executed against that front seven, that's the best front seven in the National Football League in terms of stopping the run, and they got covered up. That gap, you could see the hole. It was huge. There's no doubt about it. Look, you're, you're looking at the best offensive line in football, if you ask yeah. me. And it starts with the two tackles. You got Jordan Mailata, who's 6'8, 380. 380 pounds. Are you kidding me? I mean, this guy's a cheese whopper on a whole different level. All right. <laughs> then at right tackle, you've got the best pass protector in all of the NFL. You got Lane Johnson. This guy was a quarterback in high school. This guy is a, a <laughs> multiple Pro Bowl tackle. Chris, he hasn't given, he given a sack up in like two years. He has not been beaten in like two years. Then you've got Kelsey at center, who is the most physical position player I think I've ever seen. Now, in my in our day, you know, boys, we used to talk about position players with not a lot of respect because, you know, you got to be a butt kicker. you got to move people from A to B against their will, that sort of thing. The zone game has changed everything. And when you watch Jason Kelsey – he is a great position player, which is what you have to be in the zone blocking scheme. But yet he's very physical. And you watch him in the one-on-one and in the combo blocking and when the pass protection. Because remember, he's directing all the traffic. He's got all the guys on the same line, on the same, you know, we're on the same glide path here. And they're picking up the blitzes. They're doing a good job. Both guards are big. They're strong. 
Um, but it's those two tackles and Kelsey, if you ask me, that is the trifecta of strength in that offensive line. Those guys are really impressive. And think about it. They 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 rushed the ball for over 200 yards five times this year. Yeah. Great googly yeah. moogly. Come on, when was the last time you heard about that? So kudos to them. They're going to need it because they're going to need every bit of those those rushing yards come the Super Bowl. Well, there's no doubt there, brother. I like how you led into that. And have you had, did you notice when Jason Kelsey, when they did the quarterback sneak, okay, his nose, his face mask was pretty much on the ground. Right. Uh, okay. But did you notice, and probably only a lineman is looking for this, he kept his feet moving the entire time. He moved that pile two and a half yards. Now, with the help of his buddies, okay, and, and everybody else behind him, but his legs kept turning. It wasn't a submarine trying to knock him off and, and that you're on all fours on your belly. He kept going in a crab, and his, he did four or five steps. That was amazing to me. I watched it over exactly. and over. And you know why he's, he'll do that? Because we all know what it's like on short yardage. Those guys like our brother Ronnie, well, you, Dale, you and I, well, we're in the midst of, of playing root hog. We get a, a, a nice 250-pound ballistic enema if we don't move our guys, right? And we'll say or, like or this. 220 pounds, Chris. Or 220 pounds. All Regardless, I can say is it's painful, guys. That's all. Regardless, I'll say this. It's right up your doggone can, and we're, we don't appreciate it. <laughs> okay, but I want to go with this because we got the Kelsey Bowl, man, right? The Kelsey's right. And, of course, you got two guys that arguably are the best at their position. And when you look at it, at the angle here, I'm going to put this up here and drag him in and watch this. So you got the two brothers. It's the first Super Bowl. Well, look at Kelsey right there. You talk about that, Greg. Look at that movement with yep. his arm. That looked like a Mike Webster move right there well, it just right. takes you it. throw the uppercut you get the guy over playing and then you come back on him it's really it's the reggie white uh uh hump move is really what it is that's really what it was all about right there i mean that's i mean that's that is it. just unbelievable i mean it's that's really it's the stuff. principles of judo you know what i mean using their force against them and it's perfectly played out that's what i'm talking about with with kelsey you know, I mean, the fact is, the NFL, there, there's so much position playing because of the zone, but man, the dude can get physical, and that was just great proof right there about it. Let me ask you this real quick. What similarities do you see there with a Mike Webster, if you see any? Um, what I see is, is his position playing. Very low, uh, great strong ham hocks. You know, being able to move the feet, being smart. Because I can tell you stories upon stories, whether he's squeezing the ball, somebody from Buffalo, causing them to jump off sides twice in a row, thereby giving us the only the only first down in the first half we had in Buffalo. Uh, or, you know, the, the fact that he was just so smart in pass protection, positioning himself to be able to pick up whomever he needed to. I mean, he was just very, very smart, very strong, very tough, and I see that all. And Jason Kelsey. Yep. All right, Pony Boy. Switch it over here now. Do you going to see 
uh, Travis Kelsey and what he's doing here. Just catch it like he does every single time. It seems like he sets records for receiving. And I know you've actually referred to him a little bit at times as a receiver, and the Chiefs actually played him a little bit outside. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it's it's Travis Kelsey. He tries to block, too. If you watch him, he, he lines up as a tight end, and he's not afraid. He's going to try to block. Uh, he's he's just willing. Not, yeah, he's willing. That's exactly right, Craig. Um, you know, for me, he's more receiver than he is tight end. Um, George Kittle, to me, is the perfect blend. Uh, he, and I realize we're talking about George Kittle. I, you know, to me, he's the best tight end in the game because he's he's equally adept at catching the ball and showing great talent, as well as lining up and driving you off the ball. George Kittle will do that, especially when he gets a burr under his butt a little bit. Travis Kelsey is more receiver to me. There's nothing wrong with that. And boy, that was on display in that game, was it not? The Kansas City Chiefs and Pat Mahomes. Just really incredible. They're class acts. I, I love the Cincinnati Bengals as well. I love the swag of Joe Burrow. Um, but for me, I'm glad for Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to get another shot at a Super Bowl. Mm. And you know, by the way, I forgot yeah. to add with Jason Kelsey, all the above, plus he's got a great beard. I mean, this is good beard, man. You guys, right. well, no, I'll tell you what, it's, you know, actually both of them aren't too bad for beards. And, uh, those Bearcats out of Cincinnati, uh, that's pretty impressive, though, that the two of them are at the top of their game. And I and, uh, I have to say it, you two are the only two brothers in the NFL that were broadcasters for a Super Bowl. So, right. again, you know, I have to say that, that uh, you guys are, it's you and the Kelsey brothers. <laughs> it's not quite the same. <laughs> not quite the same, yeah. I understand, but I do love referring to it anyways. Okay, so, you, you know, we but talked But Ronnie about... got the free tickets for our wives at the Super Bowl, so there you go. <laughs> uh, well, that's true, but he, he charged he me a couple grand He was the big meal there, okay? <laughs> no, no, he, he, he made me charge him a couple grand to get those Super Bowl tickets. You're so <laughs> Okay. Now, we all know about the games and, and the officiating, and, and it can be poor at times, but... This right here is a little different. And the reason why I say that, brothers, is because, you know, this is a quarterback roughing the passer. And you can see here that, I mean, right there, that's a no call. That is a no call. And this is a call. I mean, the rules is messed up. There's no interpretation that's definitive. This is a call, roughing the passer. And it's absolutely, to me, is nuts. And I'm tired of it. And I'm going to tell you why it drives me crazy. Because it's changing games. Games, the results of it, are because of a penalty that you don't know. That's a That right there is roughing the passer? That is yeah. not roughing the passer. I mean, right, this, that's Grady Jarrett, right? That's roughing the – come on, man. That's a tackle. Yeah, no, you're right about that, Soda Pop. Um, I think the NFL has got to address it. At some point in time, I understand they want to protect quarterbacks, um, you know, a team's chance of winning games. Uh, you got to have a quarterback. If you want to win in the NFL, you got to have a quarterback. I understand why they want to protect him, but there is such a thing as going overboard. And I don't think there's any doubt 
the NFL has gone overboard in terms of protecting these quarterbacks. Um, so for me, I'm all in. If that's what you're complaining about, if that's what you're asking, if you want a change in how they officiate these games in terms of the quarterback position, I got no problem with that. No, you've got to have more common sense. Now, the Grady Jarrett sack, I can understand because you could you could like uh, argue that it was abuse of the elderly because he sacked Brady. You know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is, there there is way too much emphasis in my mind of protecting the quarterback. I know it's about the ratings. You follow the money. That's where it's at. I get it. But the fact is, you talk about oversteering the ship. My goodness, some of the calls that are coming out here. Um, you think of. Bobby Douglas and Joe Cap and all the guys that Roman Gabriel, the gate, the guys of old Sonny Jurgensen, they sit here and they got to be going. You got to be kidding me! Are you kidding me? They the NFL owes them an apology for all the the, the sacks they took, and in a very harmful way, I might add. If you watch some of the old NFL films, you see those guys going down. I mean, they really took some hits. Think about Terry Bradshaw with uh, Joe Turkey Jones getting suplexed and landing on his noggin, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff, that was happening all the time in the NFL. I think you have some common sense and moderate it some. I mean, you can't make them untouchable. You can't make these guys make sure, you can't make these guys um, so aware physically that um, they can't operate on, in, 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 in normal time, that being the rushers. Because I, I'll tell you, you're going to create problems. I remember I had a conversation with Clark Hagens way back Oh, must have been 15 years ago when a lot of this was was really ramping up. And he told me, he said, I couldn't believe it. He he was rushing Donovan McNabb in a preseason game. And before he he broke free, and before he even got to the quarterback, the referee was yelling at him to pull off. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I I don't know. They've oversteered the ship, guys. Uh, The problem is, is that, as you see this picture, and I stopped it here at this woman because it struck me. And this is a person that's paying a lot of money to come to this game. And there are a lot of people that are actually betting on these games. And if you don't have an appearance of fairness, and you don't have a appearance of definition of this is the line, these are the rules, then it's going to go down. And I worry about the NFL going down because in the next case that I had the segment, you know, there's been a, so much talk this year, and I know you're going to probably try to laugh about it, but there's been so much talk about the NFL being rigged, and I don't believe that the NFL is rigged, but you have here, and there's one, the Arian Foster, you remember him, the running back, his four-time pro bowler, he is on right here with uh, Barstool Sports. Uh, Arian was telling me about how the NFL is rigged and how every year he used to get a script. Yeah. Day one of training camp that would get mm-hmm. dropped off at his locker. Mm-hmm. And you would have to, you know, it was like week one, you'll do this. Week two, you're going to have a hamstring injury. Week three, this is going to happen. Yeah. Week four, you're going to get three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And so then you just have to, did you memorize those before the season started? Or would you go and rehearse the script before every game? Uh, we were really dedicated to it. So it was more so like um, that's what practice was about. It was about practicing the script. Like this is what goes on and this is what we have to do mm-hmm. in order to. Yeah. And this referee is going to miss this call. Because yeah, they really, hate you yeah. and they love the Colts, yeah, that sort like, of thing. Uh, WWF, so it's like, you yeah, know, we know what's going to happen, but you just still got to put on a show. Uh, WWF, so it's like, you yeah, know, we know what's going to happen, but you just still got to put on a show. <laughs> you know, right, now he's being sarcastic here, okay? They admit it. But there's so much about the NFL right now being rigged and so much is coming out of these 
TikTok videos. I mean, it's all over the place. When you search, when you search the media, social media, like I do, looking for subjects to talk about, this is what I'm seeing. And then you go ahead and you add that quarterback calls and, and bad officiating in the AFC championship game, you know, and everybody's got, hey, man, it's a conspiracy theory. It's getting to be legitimately they're doing, they're saying that to a certain amount of group, and I hate it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go pony boy with you. I'll just let you start off with it. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I know exactly where you're coming from. I know what your sentiment is, and it is. It should be a concern because when you rough the passer, it's 15 yards automatic first down. Boom, there you go. Um, it's a huge penalty in a game, and it can change games to your point right there. And, you know, the – it looks the the it looks bad for the league, and it opens up the door of impropriety, and you cannot have that in the National Football League. And I'm sure they're going to do something about it. But for me, can I just say right now, the thing that really drives me crazy is when a quarterback will pull the ball down and run, and then he slides at the last second. How is a defender really supposed to know if you're going to slide or not? I say this: when a quarterback chooses to run the ball, he's a runner. That's what he is. If he's going to pull it down, he's a runner. Forget about the protection anymore. If he wants to slide, that's fine. But if a guy wants to jack him as he's sliding, well, maybe next time he'll think about pulling the ball down because I want it to be fair for defenders as well. I do. I want it to be fair for those guys. When they come running up, they want to tackle a Cam Newton, by way of example, right now. You know, um, that's a scary proposition right there. Some of these other quarterbacks that are big quarterbacks, you're going to tell me that they could slide suddenly right at the end or you don't know as a defender if they're going to slide or they're going to try to dive forward and get the first down. You come up with indecision trying to tackle. That's garbage. That That's not the game of football. It's not how it's played up here. It shouldn't be that way. So I understand about protecting them in the pocket, and you got to be really careful about that. But the thing that really bothers me is when some of these big quarterbacks pull the ball down and turn into runners, and you don't know what they're going to do. And as a defender, you're supposed to read their mind? No, that's not the way it ought to be. The NFL's got to address that, too. Yeah. Well, that's and, a and, great point, man. And Terry, let me ask you this, though. I mean, is the NFL rigged? In a word, no. Just say it. Yeah, just, no, I want you guys to say it. Yeah, it's just, it's a joke. I'm telling you what. Um, it, I, 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 I know he's being facetious. Okay, fine. You know, to me, it, it, you don't need that because there's a lot of suspicious conspiracy nuts sitting around with two-tiered, you know, tinfoil on their heads, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, you know, the point is, look, um, there are some questionable calls. It happens. You know, you, you go through those time periods. I agree with Ronnie. Take away the slide from the quarterback, and, and you can be extra careful in the huddle or in the pocket if you need to be. But even then, they're getting some really difficult calls. I mean, if you go back to here, – here's, here's an interesting concept, guys. I read a research paper that was done by um, a group either connected with or with the NFL. I don't know which it was. All right, but it was, it said simply this, and I'll summarize it. If you take a great quarterback and hit him at least five times really good during the game, his throwing accuracy starts to drop to that of being good. 
You take a good quarterback, hit him five good hard times in the game, a good quarterback becomes average, and an average becomes below average. You know, below average. That, that, that part of the game shouldn't be taken out. I mean, you've got to be able to get after the quarterback, and I understand you've got to be able to protect him some. Well, you know what? Then make sure that you got great offensive lines, or that you go, you go, uh, you know, uh, you, you keep the tight end in, and so forth. You know what I mean? Um, max protect. Yeah, you know, just the max protect. Thank you. The fact of the matter is, you've got to stop creating such insurmountable rules for the defense that they can't function. Yes. And, and see, that's it right there. You know, guys, I love the struggle. I love the struggle. We love the struggle. Right, right. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be hard, isn't it? And, you know, the defense, I, I wonder, how do, you, how do you play defense in 2023 going forward? How do you play defense when you've got to think about what the guy running is going to do and where I'm going to put my helmet and – you know, I mean, it's just so difficult, and the rules already favor the offense so much. Um, I want to see the struggle, and I love this year in particular because scoring was down this year, and I love that because they let the defenders play a little bit more. Hmm. Okay, well, that's interesting, and, you know, I, I was said I, I it's a good point. We should really talk about that a little bit more uh, with the quarterback situation because I think – it can really help the game. And I'm so tired of these stupid conspiracy theories about the NFL being rigged. Do you know how hard it would be to keep them shut up? I mean, oh, I, I mean you know, you just can't, you can't, it's hard to keep anything secret. Uh, anyway, someone's going to spoil. It's, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's like you're going to say, yeah, I let that guy score three touchdowns on me. I let Travis Kelsey score three touchdowns on the safety. And, you know, and I let that happen because. I have no pride. I got nothing. You know what I mean? I'm just going to let that go because it's rigged. Because yeah. it, no, I mean, it's, well, it's okay. the silliest thing. Uh, it was scripted. I punched a guy in Detroit. They told me to. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, do I pull like, before you going to give me the 500 bucks or what? <laughs> yeah. Just remember, guys, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Don Corleone. All right. Okay. Well, you know, this last one here, I don't know, I like this. Uh, you know, it's, I'll just play it. Go ahead and play it and let you tell me how you feel about it. For that Cincinnati mayor, know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party. I love that, man. You know, and here's the, the the mayor is you know he's actually said he goes yeah I deserve that he did. <laughs> you know and he I'm did. okay with that so that's good okay. I mean, he sat there and he said all right I deserve that fair enough I, I gave it and I, I got it back and I I think that's kind of cool but uh but anyway what's your take on Travis Kelsey well with, first of all yeah, I, I love Jabroni. his passion yeah I love his passion I love how he plays um you know uh. He's not a great blocking tight end, but still, he's willing to do it. He's a great receiver. He's a great football player. Fantastic. Future Hall of Famer, as far as I'm concerned right now. Um, I love the fact you got to fight for your right to party. A little Beastie Boys right there. That's never a bad way to go. Um, love Travis Kelsey. Uh, I, I, would, I, I would say that um, he's... To me, I don't know if you'd call him the most dangerous guy in the Super Bowl coming up, I, but I, you know what? I'm going to do that. 
I'm going to say he's the most dangerous guy on the field for the Kansas City Chiefs, offensively and defensively, on uh, Super Bowl Sunday because of the player that he is. There he- you know, I always look at it this way. Um, you know, to the victor go the spoils. If you're going to jump in the ring, you better be prepared to take one in the schnoz, which is just what the mayor did. You know, I mean, that's you, you might want to stay in your lane there, you know, doing the mayoral thing and so forth. Uh, and I love the fact. Did did you travel with the Beastie Boys, Dale? No, I did not. Rock and roll days? No, I, I've actually been in, uh, on stage with them. On the same well, I, that's, that's uh, ugly. Yeah. Okay. In your travels as a bodyguard for a lot of different rock bands and so forth, I thought you traveled with the Beastie Boys. But if you ended up on stage... I, I hope that's not been videographed. I mean, if you're dancing, no, no, there, I would, guys. no, I was not dancing. Let's get this. Are screen. you sure? It, could yeah. there be video evidence? No, like there's maybe no your video. buddy out there pulls some film. At least, no, no, no. I was on the side. It was, a, it was, a, you know, a whole bunch of bands coming together for a celebration, and I can't remember what it was, but uh, I saw him. I saw him right there. I was on side stage, so and those guys, uh, they'd like to get after it, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, yeah, guys. Honestly, what is the def- definition of a jabroni? Because you know what, jabroni—that's that's from wrestling. Yeah, can I tell you what it is? Jabroni, the Irish Sheik started. It was a jobber. <laughs> it was for the guys that used to come out that you never heard of before. The little dudes, and they would just demolish the superstars. Would sit there and demolish them. When I was in wrestling, we call them jobbers. But the Iron Sheik, it was jabroni, and that comes from the Rock. <laughs> So that comes to the rock, and he says, shut your mouth, know your role, you jabroni. jabroni. That's the rock, man. He just morphed into the wrestler again. Yeah, that's totally it right there. I, that's you jabroni. And, and you know what? In fact, hey. they just put that into the dictionary in 2020. It's a real world word now, <laughs> jabroni. Yeah, and, and so weren't you a t- part of a tag team? What was it? Pain oh, yeah. and Pain insane. and insane. <laughs> Pain in the state, America's most wanted. <laughs> and you were, Go ahead. you were insane. Correct? Get it, baby, get uh, it. I was insane. The eyes were a little bit wild. But that wolfly uh, stare, man, you don't, want to <laughs> that. you don't want to see that coming at you in a dark alley, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> the eyes was, we might blend into the dark, but the eyes will stand out. What's up, boy? boy? <laughs> Blakey, our brother. And with that being said, fellas, say goodnight to Hoopy. All right. Good night, Hoopy. We love you. Love you, Hoopy. Love you, Hoopy. And guys, great job as always. Special news is keeps coming uh, for the three wolves of football. And we'll, we'll be able to talk about it soon here publicly. Uh, good things are happening for us. And apparently, Derry and Pony Boy, you haven't sucked. <laughs> well, that's what we'll do. <laughs> love you guys. Okay, we'll love you, bro. Love you, bro. Let's see you.